So, welcome and bienvenue, and welcome to another episode of Espresso Briefing. James, how are you doing today? Very well, David. Um, 2022 is a lot better than 21, and indeed 20, so things are good. It's an upward path, that's brilliant. And we've got Erin, who is dialing in from America. Erin, where, in fact, from the States are you dialing in from? We're at a tiny village called Dana Point, 60 miles south of Los Angeles. Hi, so. oh, fantastic. So, it's in Southern California. Yes. Right. Yeah. So there's really no point asking you how the weather is there because it's just going to be awesome, right? Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. And, and thank you so much for coming on today. Um, you've brought us a really interesting book, Wolfback by Abby. I, I always want to say Wombach, but it's Wambark, isn't it? I think Wambark. Um, and for those listeners of ours who aren't familiar, Abby Wambark was a fantastic uh, football player although obviously she's in America, so we're going to have to say the dread word soccer. Sorry, I've said it. There it is. It's out. Uh, she was, in fact, I think she is the second highest international scorer of all time. But then she took a, a left turn into, uh, into writing. In fact, where, tell us a little bit of the genesis of Wolfpack, um, this book. Erin, where did it come from? What I understand, the... It started when she gave a speech, a commencement speech at, I believe, Bernard, um, a New York University. I may have that wrong. Mm -hmm. And she was looking for material. And so she was researching it and then had researched this idea of wolves being reintroduced in Yellowstone. So the basis of the book is from the commencement speech. But she was really intrigued by this concept of what happened when Yellowstone, one of our national parks, her most famous ones had a really debilitating kind of ecosystem that was languishing. And there was this talk that reintroducing wolves might be the savior. Um, but there was lots of fear because you were going to introduce, you know, a, a killer at the top of the food chain to Yellowstone. What that, what was that going to mean? Um, and in the end, it, it ended up revitalizing the entire park and there were so many downstream benefits. So she thought this metaphor of a wolf pack was a really powerful jumping off point. Um, for not only how do we look at, you know, underrepresented, you know, marginalized groups that are coming at, that we think are fear, we should, we sometimes are fearful of, how do we embrace that? And then furthermore, how do you look at the wolf pack as um, really some powerful, full of powerful leadership principles? So there was a lot of material off the back of that kind of metaphor and in real life transformation, really, that resulted as a result of the wolf pack, the wolves being reintroduced into Yellowstone. Mm. I mean, it's, it's a really powerful speech. It's actually on YouTube. So if anybody wants to have a look at that afterwards, um, we can always send people the link. And, and just in terms of relating it to your own business career, Erin, just, just give us a little bit about where you're working at the moment and what you're focusing on. Sure. So I head up, um, I'm at a company called um, Edge by Essential. So we're a global data analytics and um, insights um, arm of the business. And so my team is global in Asia, Europe, and North America, and we're responsible for the commercial kind of owning relationships with clients to ensure that they're happy with the relationship, getting what they need, um, and we're providing additional solutions. So um, yes, yeah, success for me is, you know, ensuring that they're, they're thrilled with us and come back and renew and, and want to spend more. So it's an awesome job full of really good, good challenges. Perfect. So very much a focus on relationships, maintaining relationships, deepening relationships. For sure. 
Fantastic. Okay, so we've we've got as usual, we've got our three themes. Um, the first one is create your own path. And I know there's a link to the the metaphor of Little Red Riding Hood, which I just thought was fascinating. And I like the fierceness with which she brought it. But but expand on that for us. What what was the relevance of create your own path to you, Erin? Yeah, it was it was this idea, and she she also uses this description of back to soccer, which I think is really funny. As we'll maybe talk about, I'm the least athletic person. I don't really follow soccer, but somehow <laughs> I love sports metaphors, and I find them really helpful, even if I don't really understand the game that well. But so this idea of creating your own path, she also talks about you know, ask for the ball. So it's, it, they're kind of go hand in hand. So rather than sitting on the sidelines and sort of waiting for something to happen as in your career, in your life, I mean, it's just a simple idea, right? It's nothing totally groundbreaking, but um, ask for the ball, go for it, figure out what you want to do and and get there. And so she, she talks a lot about sports in terms of, you know, being a female athlete in soccer, um, certainly in the U.S., you know, the men get a lot if, if not most of the, the hype and coverage. And so she very much had to, you know, create her own path for what does women's professional so soccer look like? And she, she really has transformed it. She's, you know, at one point she realized mostly men were running female soccer. And why is that? Why aren't women running the female, the, you know, the, the female soccer, um, I don't even know the association or whatever. So mm -hmm. she created her own path. So she basically, and she asked for the ball. So she keeps going back to like, if, if I don't like what's happening, if I feel like men are dominating my field, what am I going to do about it? I can't just sit around. So she got in there and, and asked for change and shows she's been on that journey for quite some time. And in terms of thinking about your own career and your own situation, um, being a, a woman, presumably having to deal with some fairly male dominated environments, how have you how have you sort of seen that play out in your own experience and and how to having learnt this idea have you been able to um put into practice yourself at all yeah i think i think it's something i had to learn the hard way i would say mid career when i was really wanting to expand and get a promotion and have a bigger team and all that that'll sound familiar to a lot of people um, I very much had this motto of just heads down, do a job, do my job well, um, and I'll get the ball, right? Someone will hand me the ball. And uh, believe it or not, I just had never occurred to me to sort of ask, like ask for, I, what does it take for me to get the promotion? What does it take? So, um, and or lay out in the absence of leadership, if you want something to happen, you can lead from wherever you are, right? So, um, come up with a plan if you're if you're wanting to move up to that next role whatever that is how do you start um creating your own path to get there right rather than being reactive so it's a hard lesson for a lot of people to learn um and i once i figured it out it was much easier so there are oftentimes i find myself like oh do i need to create my own path here do i need to ask for the ball um i did it the other day i felt like oh this isn't going the way i want it to give me the ball. This is what I think we should do and lay out the plan and go for it. So don't sit back. So I think it's a good reminder. These aren't groundbreaking principles, but they're really, I thought, powerful reminders of, of what to do and, and how to be proactive. In and out of interest, do you think this is something that, that you as an individual may have struggled with in the past? Or do you think there's a more general sense of this impacts a lot of women? I think it impacts a lot of women and I don't think it's just women, right? What I loved is she talks about 
you know, the wolf pack, um, you know, being a threat potentially. So it's this idea of anyone that's underrepresented, whether it's underrepresented for, for any group. Yeah, I, I think I think it applies, right, to, to anyone mm -hmm. that feel like they, they haven't, they don't have the ball. And so um, the lesson is, you know, ask for it. Yeah. And, and I'm just thinking, I, I've just been doing some unconscious bias training and somebody that I'm working with in America uh, gave me a new term, a term that I wasn't aware of about talking about minoritized rather than minorities, mm. rather than the, the ethnic minorities, as in it's just a group. It's all a passive description, it's a group to actually mm. use the word minoritized that says there is an action by the dominant hierarchy that has done this to this group. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. And and I'm I'm particularly thinking about her. I think she brought out in that in that lecture that uh, you know white women earn eighty cents to every white male pound, um, African American women earn seventy cents, and uh, Latina women um, something like sixty cents to the pound. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, to the dollar. <laughs> there, I'm getting my my currencies mixed up. But That's just the idea of you know the minoritized that perhaps you f maybe feel that the permissions weren't there for you to ask the bull? It, it could be. I think, um, you know, I'm no, I'm no anthropological expert, but I think the way men and women, or if you think about it in a gender context, are raised, you know, I think there have been a decent amount of studies that, that women just, um, you know, even in a classroom setting, I think they find that they tend to thrive if you separate the sexes, right? Because they're, mm -hmm. um, they will be, women will be more aggressive in math or science, you know, asking questions and somehow, um, you know, sit back a little bit when men, when men are in a room. So it's maybe just how we're raised with gender stereotypes still that men feel emboldened to ask a question, to be vocal, um, um, where women are conditioned a little bit to, to sit back on the sidelines a little bit. So it transfers into a professional setting. I definitely was guilty of it. If I look back, the pattern was just, you know, be a, be a good student, right? James will laugh, like we've talked about this a lot. Mm. Um, you know, get the gold star and then, um, you know, all, all will come your way, but you have to go for it, like, you know? Mm. And, and, and certainly, you know, what you were saying about thinking, if I just do a good job, I'll get given the ball. And that's been... That's been told a story told to me so many times by female yeah. executives, um, whereas men are, I, I guess, can be more bullish in asking for the ball. But I also think, yeah. and this comes from actually from a, a, an observation by my wife, who is a, a head teacher, that is a principal of a junior mm. school, and she's both been all girls, all boys and mixed. And she said, boys are definitely given more cues to take risks yeah. as they grow up. They're just allowed to take risks more, or there's a greater degree of acceptance or allowance for, for boys to take risks. Right. Does that right. resonate with you? Completely, completely. So when I read the book, I just thought, I thought that's why, again, the funny part is that I'm not this, you know, expert in, in sport, but I find sport metaphors to be so helpful because everyone understands the rough confines of any game, right? There's a set of rules or a set of players and there's an end goal of how to win. And that always resonates with me. And so, yeah, for her, she just talks about um, this idea of, yeah, how do you, how do you take control and be vocal? And what did she she, she took her feeling disgruntled and the lack of representation for women in her sport and just transformed it and started challenging this notion. Um, and it was pretty powerful and she's had some significant results, but she um, had to fervently kind of go for it because it wasn't gonna be handed to her for sure. There weren't men sitting around saying, how do we 
better represent women? Um, <laughs> no, no one was asking that question. So she had to ask the, the hard question. She also mentions that men behind the scenes were coming to her saying, I support you. And she just said, she called them out. I need you to support me on the front lines, right? So, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the visibility of it. And, and also following on the, the metaphor from sport, when, when courage, particularly in football, is talked about, um, managers talk about courage being asking for the balls, demanding the ball, because actually if you get the ball and you screw it up, you know, you A, look stupid, people question your ability, but also if you get the ball, you lose it, the turnover might create a goal for the other team. So there is a courage in asking for the ball, which I, I think, certainly plays out in business as well and i can see from any person who believes they are in a minoritized group the risk to do that might feel even greater so listening to all of this james well i obviously male but with a with a, a female child i mean what are your observations on this both in business but also when you think how you're relating to your daughter yeah, I was going to say, like, anyone that's not watching, just watch and you can see how I'm not going to be the expert in it. Like, <laughs> um, but but the, this was where the click was for me was was with my daughter coming along. And I read or I saw a video um, that said a stat of something like and I'll get the numbers wrong, but the, the point will be valid is men will look at a job description and they only have to maybe think they can do 40 percent of it to apply. And um, women need to know, know they can do 90% of it to apply. Because what's interesting is I've been listening is I didn't, I was, I always thought if I work hard, I'll be given the ball. And I also didn't, it didn't occur to me to ask for things as I was raised. Um, so that stuff actually resonates with me. Um, but then, and that's where the sort of the, the arc of my um, business career has come from is realizing, well, no, I actually have to go ask because certainly as I was brought up, it was somewhat impolite to ask for whatever, um, particularly money. Right. So so there's so I can I can resonate with that. What I was interested in is the. That's where it kind of hit home to me was I went, oh, yeah, well, I would apply for a job that was that I was maybe half OK for, because if I don't get it, I don't get it, but I'm going to apply. And then I, and so now as I, as I think about raising my daughter, I go, I, I'm, I'm very aware of it. I'm aware of what I'm not aware, which is tricky <laughs> because I, I know that I can't give her all of, oh, I can't understand all of what she's going to go through. But even the other day she was climbing up the climbing frame and I don't know where she's picked it up from because it certainly hasn't been from me or from my wife, but she keeps saying, I don't know, or I can't do it. She's two wherever she's picked it up from and now that's now something i'm deliberately trying to um work with her on in the sense of like she was she she got to the, the climbing bit and she said i can't do it and i said yeah you can and then waited for her to do it um rather than and you know there was obviously safety involved i was standing there i didn't just walk off and have a sandwich but the um but but it was well no you can and then pointing that she can and showing her on the first time like a foot goes there foot goes hand there and then she got up and what was interesting, she came back and she said, yeah, I can't do it. I said, well, no, you can, you just did. So let's, let's now do it again. And so it was this kind of, um, what's the two things that I'm thinking of. One is she's picked up the, I don't know, or I can't do it from somewhere. Mm. Um, I don't know where, because I've, I've never, well, not, not knowingly, not consciously, not intentionally said, um, you can't do it um, unless she's physically not allowed to, like she's not allowed to play in the road. That's something that she's not allowed to do, but I haven't, I've been quite careful about saying that, but also 
now how do I get it so that she knows that she can or she's going to find out if she can because well, it's, it's, it's yeah it's, it's, it's already at two there's this attitude to risk and as yeah. we can see this attitude to risk plays plays out in in a nervousness of asking for the ball or a confidence in asking for the ball and I mean Erin when when so without getting too psychological about it I mean when you, you were growing up mm. were you aware of an attitude to risk your attitude to risk uh, no it's only with a lot of work later right. on in my life right. to recognize the pattern but but no looking back it's super clear that I was you know I don't know if taught, but uh, to stay in the lane, right? To to follow the rules and not to take risks. So to me, following the rules meant um, that there was safety in that too, right? So mm. I would I would not have thought about you know if someone was you know not following the rules or doing something crazy that to me seemed you know out of bounds. Like I don't, I don't understand that. And who um, are the rules setters for you? It's a good question. You know I. You know, it, it ultimately myself, right? I said, right. I said, I set the arbitrary, imaginary rules mm -hmm. that you know, good means getting good grades. Good means doing this. Um, you know, maybe it was reinforced by you know, friends and family that you get you know, strokes on the back for for doing those things. But I think it was a, I, I created it somehow. But it took years to figure out. Um, and just and still not unwinding it, but recognizing that you can take risks um, and should take risks and ask for the ball, right? But um, I think ultimately I did it. I, I was the one. It, I don't know that it was sort of put on me, but maybe it was how I recognized I could be successful, you know, maybe as a, a woman. And, yeah. and and that meant, you know, being being good. And, and, <laughs> and in terms of your, your business career, again, are you aware of any sort of, over rule setters or do you think it's a very much more covert subliminal set of rules that give more permission to take risks to certain groups than others that's uh, a good question um it's covert yeah i do i think you know who you work with and work report to makes a really big difference so i work uh for someone who's terrific he's a great leader um very much I would say he is a risk taker. So he's emboldened me the way he leads is um, wants you to take big risks. So it's been really empowering to me because I can, if I catch myself hesitating, I think, you know, what would Tom want me to do? Think big, take the action, ask for the ball, like go. Um, so it, it, it matters quite a lot in terms of who you work with. Conversely, I guess I've worked with other people that were um, maybe gave you more set of constraints. And so if you're not careful, right, you can sort of find yourself following that. So it, it's tricky. It's very tricky. Um, mm. And it, it turns, if you're going to mentor an intern or, or not just a young female, but maybe anybody from a minoritized um, background, mm. what, what would, how would you encourage them to ask for the ball? I mean, what, what would be the sort of tangible things you would teach them? to ask for the ball to create their own path? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, first of all, what do you want to do, right? So establish, like, actually think about it. Um, you know, what is it your your next move is, your next, let, let's say it's a next role, or, and then let's articulate um, what do you think you need to do to get there? And then I would encourage them to find ways to get visibility to ask for the ball. So whether it's 
you know, maybe it's shadowing someone, getting some visibility there, or so finding some really practical ways to elevate their position in the organization um, because it's they may not realize it's not going to necessarily fall in their lap. People and they can't guess what you're thinking. They can't. We're terrible mind readers, right? So we, we don't. Yeah. Know what, we're we're just not good at it. So. Yeah, it's, it's finding some subtle and not so subtle, I shouldn't say subtle, some not so subtle ways to get um, to get visibility. But uh, I think you have to be practical, right? So, you know, get yourself attached to a project. Say, can I help, right? And then that's, so without even realizing it, suddenly people look around, oh, well, so-and-so has been helping on this. And you're showing mm. leadership, you know, you're, you're actually starting to do the thing you want. Um, it's it's simple, not simple, right? It's simple in theory, harder to pull off. Well, I was just even thinking about that linguistically, can I help? There's still a sort of ask for permission there, isn't there? Whereas huh? I was thinking, I was thinking, I'd really like to help on this. It's, it's, a, good it's a good point. See, correct, correct me. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you're right. It's saying this project is really important. I think I can lend this expertise. You're right. Redoing my language a little bit. You know, I think this is what I have to bring to the table. You're all really busy. I can pick up blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. That's well, a good refrain. I'm, I'm just, uh, I, I do a lot of work with my colleague, Ruth, who, who runs uh, our Athena program, which is a women in business program, female leadership program. And, you know, that's what she really focuses on, linguistic cues, and actually how attitudes to risk can be indicated in linguistic cues. Mm. And, and I think that's a, it's just a classic one, isn't it? You know, it's sort of moving from diffidence to, to, to a sort of a more bullish approach. But, but when you talk about visibility, and I know there are going to be plenty of our listeners um, really interested in the answer to this one, I guess, was for, for all of us, which is, okay, if we're going to continue working in a virtual world, how are we going to get that visibility? How are younger people in business going to get visibility when we're working in a virtual space? I mean, I don't know if either of you have any answer to that one, but I know it's a massive question for a lot of my clients. So it is a really good one. Um, how you get visibility in this virtual world. I think it's if we go back to taking our own advice about asking for the ball, it's... Mm -hmm. um, for me, I'll give you a practical example right now. You know, my team and, and the other leaders I work with were all over the world, truly global. Everyone's in different locations. And so um, I realized there was a need for visibility on our current challenges. And we need to really socialize that and synthesize it. Um, so it's as simple as just asking for a meeting and asking for attendance from all the key players where we will present, my colleague and I that own this part of the business, you know, here's a concrete view of where we are, what our challenges are and what, what our asks are. So that's a way to create visibility. It's just creating a meeting or a group or kicking off a project, right? Even though you're in all different locations with an end goal, meaning I'm going after this challenge um, and here's how we're gonna come together and, and tackle it. But just again, going back to, you know, asking for the, asking for the ball mm. and it's, not sitting back, right? I could have just, you know, continued on in the cadence of meetings, hoping that my challenges are making it up a level. Well, if they're not, create that visibility right now. And, and so the meeting's in place, the agenda's set out, this is what I'm gonna provide in terms of content. I'll ask for feedback, certainly, but this is what I want out of it. I want you all, the product team, everyone to have a really clear idea of what's at stake here, you know, why we're sometimes losing and what we need more importantly to fix it. So we're all on the same page. So. Um, it's 
think it's, I've, I've logged back in now. It's been a long day. I've, I've got, it's the, there's that incidental, there's creating the space for the incidentals, a, a, a leadership program I'm doing. We talk, there's a lot of, one of the workshops is leading difficult conversations and there's feedback is another one. And so it's the, the challenge that people say is, well, it's having the, it's, it's being able to do it at the water cooler or going for a walk or whatever. And part of it, I think, is being intentional and deliberate about the space, leaving the space for the accidental conversations or the incidental conversations, because through stories, and this is the common theme through all of the workshops that I've done on that particular program, is there's, it's a big company. Um, there's many, many, many leaders in, from different departments and different hierarchies in the workshops, and they're all mixed up because I'd try and randomize it as much as is possible. Um, and without fail, at the end of every one, particularly the first one, people go, I didn't realize that everyone else had the same problems I had. Mm. And that came through stories. That came through, no, at no point did I go, hey, right, share the problems that you think you've got <laughs> and that you're alone in. I didn't ask that question. What I had was we had a context, which was, so in your case, it might be we need visibility over this thing. Um, mine's a different one. Mine would be a training leadership context, but the, but the stories that get shared, and if you make them human, mm. human stories, human swapping stories, you end up with more visibility of a situation or a perspective or a, or a, like a technical thing. They'll, they'll, oh, and by the way, there's that thing going on. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Mm. so it's that it's a structural thing as well it's it's how do we like like let's take 10 minutes instead of five you know or sometimes let's take five minutes instead of 10 we don't always have to do that but i think it's about how do we create structures virtually um and as well as in the real world but i think the question was about virtual how do we create structures where those incidental conversations can happen this by the way is one of those ways right is mm. you you take 45 minutes and mm. see where it goes most be, you also that. you've also got to have somebody that's prepared to give people permission to others to share their narrative yeah and, I and think that's really important in a leadership perspective and it sounds like Erin you're giving people an opportunity to share their narrative and not be silent or silenced yeah I guess there was another concept she talked about it's been swirling around in my head this idea of leading from the bench I've been thinking about I have some amazing people on my team and thinking, I don't need to attend that meeting. She's better at that. Why don't I send her, right? So why am I weighing in on something? I'm not the best at it. So that's a way to, A, you know, get more visibility. So give her the ball, right? So um, so it's another way to increase visibility. I think about it a lot for my team. It doesn't, ha I, I can't always be leading from the front, right? So, mm. um, and it shouldn't be. So um, that's another way to amplify more voices. Um, and that's something I, to be a good leader, the leader I want to be, I need to be doing constantly. So I've just been thinking about it this week. Who, who, who do I need to kind of put at the front because they're doing a really great job on that thing and I'm not good at it. Yeah. And I mean, in, in, in football stroke soccer analogies, you know, that's the playmaker. Yeah. You know, they, they don't have to be the center forward. They don't have to be the person banging in the goals, but it's actually, it, it's, it's the talisman or talisman person, you know, yeah. the playmaker, the person that actually coordinates it. And, and if you're going to be that kind of leader and you're giving people, you're giving the say, you know, no, you don't have to ask the ball. I'm going to give you the ball. I'm going to offer you the ball. Here it is now run with it. And, and similarly in James, in your example, 
creating a bit of an extra space to have the incidental conversations to say, share your truth, tell me your narrative. And we might hear something that gives us extra value, that gives you that visibility and places your value firmly on the table. I think the, also, the, sorry, no, just to no, jump. I think also it's about, and I'm thinking particularly as a coach, and this was the this was the thing that it took you probably more effort than it would have done with some other people, David, to get me to understand, was it's about the absence of things as much as the presence of things. So in our world, it's questions. The most powerful part of a workshop or a coaching session is always when the coach stands out of the way. Mm-hmm. And so with the, and I'm thinking of a one workshop I'm doing with a team and it was, it was a different kind of workshop. It was a cultural workshop. So it was about, and in, in terms of organizational culture, so purpose, we were talking a lot about purpose and this is a day long thing. And one of the people on the team just was, was standing back, was not getting into it. And, and at, the, at the break, I kind of asked them, hey, how's it going? You know, um, how are you finding it? Oh yeah, good. And I said, hey, you know, we want to hear from you, right? And, and, and they still didn't really... They weren't as expressive and loud as and, and as all whatever as some of the others. But when they came out with a point, it was so crystal clear. Um, mm-hmm. And so then it was and, and some of the, the some of the other people took away from that. Oh, this is this is this is how they process stuff. And so sometimes it's not about the. The it, it might it's yes, you've got the, the playmaker, as David says, and the ones banging the goals, but then it's the ones who know to leave space for that ball to go past. And I think that's a job, that's a job of a leader that's really hard because it's invisible, is mm. how do I stand back from this and let people, let my team fill the void? 100%. And in workshops, I'll say to, I'll just, I'll flat say to the leader, don't ever be the first person to break the silence. <laughs> I'll just forbid them from being, and that's mm. kind of a useful rule is just, just shut up until someone else speaks. Like it's not difficult, it's difficult, but it's not complicated. Um, and I think that's a way to get more space in there for more narratives, more stories, more perspectives. That's a that's a perfect analogy, both in coaching, business, life, and football as well. Because <laughs> yeah, you know, you have to create space. Mm. And but yeah, it's so difficult to create space. I mean, I'm just thinking of a completely random example. Um, I went to see a gig because because that's a thing now. Um, I went to see a gig a couple of weeks ago. It's Nick Mason, who's the original drummer with Pink Floyd. And he's put mm-hmm. a band together, um, uh, it was a great band, uh, to, to play all the very early Pink Floyd stuff. It's all the stuff I love, all the really hippy-dippy psychedelic stuff. But it's fantastic. And, and they're all architects, Pink Floyd. So they were brilliant at creating space. And most of their contemporaries were trying to fill the space with a, a thousand notes per hour, mm-hmm. per minute. And actually, you know, there's a brilliant Pink Floyd song called Us and Them on Dark Side of the Moon, which is all space. Mm. And it's a really brave thing to do to create that space, but it can be just filled with something beautiful. But part of the beauty is that there's nothing for bits. Mm. And I know they talked about that, but there is a bravery to creating space. And I mean, you know, when I'm training new coaches, it's a tough one for them because they always think the value is in the stuff they say. For sure. And they're so attached to it. The, well, the value is in the brilliant insights of God. It's like, no, the value is in the space you create. Can you just shut the hell up and let people think? And so I, I being polite. I was that student. I was like, no, 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 but I've got to say stuff, right? He's like, no, shut up. Stop <laughs> the space. Let them think, you know. Um, thinking of, well, actually, I mean, you're talking about space. 
there are there, this book and your insights Aaron are are just too good for one episode so I'm already thinking can we have a part two of this oh sure sure that's great it's just going to give us more space to to talk about the other themes because before I come on to the second theme there's just one last question which is you know still about creating your own path and asking for the ball in terms of mm. mentoring uh, how easy has it been for you to ask for someone to mentor you how many people are asking you to be their mentor in your organization so two-part how many how how easy or difficult was it for me to yeah. ask for a mentor um yeah I've, and then how many people are asking me to um sure so for the first part it's it's maybe not the best answer but it's the the truth one truthful one the for the first my first mentor was given to me um mm -hmm. at a company I worked for they recognized that they had a problem with women not moving up in the organization and so they gave us largely male mentors um to help us and that's when I learned this notion of asking for the ball really he explained Aaron here's here's how you're going to get the VP job you want um, you're not looking at it correctly. And he basically don't, don't just put your head down, ask for it. Right. So, and then sure enough, I got promoted. And honestly, it was because of, so that my first mentor was given to me since then, rightly or wrongly, I have unofficial mentors. They don't maybe know they're mentoring me. Like, <laughs> that's, know. that's clever. <laughs> Those so, are the other mentors I have. Right? None of them know it. Yeah. The CEO of essential right now, Duncan Painter is the, the, best CEO I've ever worked for. And I learned so much from him. And so I consider him a mentor. Was it ever official? But I had a fair amount of interaction with him. He would challenge me on things. Still to this day, it resonates. Like he would challenge, he'd look at me like, are you sure that's, you're doing enough? And I feel like, mm. um, so that's how I find mentorship really helpful. It's I look around for people that I really admire and take as much and, and ask for their advice, you know, and, and take as much from them as I can. So that's how I've done my existing mentors. I don't have a, an official one that I've asked for, but um, I've certainly benefited from some unofficial ones. Um, Duncan would laugh if I ever told him he's a pretty funny guy that he's one of my mentors. He'd say, what? Um, but for sure. And then in terms of people asking me, um, yes, I've had some recent grads um, ask me family friends, um, which I've, I've definitely said yes to. And then I would say unofficially, there's a couple of people within our current company that want to move up. And so I'm going to work on a path for them of how to, how to ask for the ball, how to get greater visibility. So it's an unofficial one, but um, I take it pretty seriously. So that's, that's what my current you know, world looks like. Because mm, I'm just thinking in terms of gaining visibility in the, you know, if we're working more virtually, we're going to continue to work virtually. Surely asking for a mentor is a great way of getting that visibility and learning how to ask for the ball, you know, mm -hmm. in, in more skillful ways. And yet I'm also thinking again, thinking about the the lesser permissions for minoritized people to, mm -hmm. to take risks where it's just right. much harder. And I'm thinking of a project that I'm going to be doing in July, which is working for uh, it's 18, it's 18 to 20 one-year-olds who may go on to have a job in financial services uh, they're all people of color and, right. and it's been set up specifically because they don't have the old school tie and those opportunities for mentorship perhaps right. that other people do and I was absolutely delighted to 
to be part of that project because it links onto a project I did about 10 years ago. But thinking, yeah, I wonder if you if you are from a minoritized group, how much harder it is to even find a mentor, let alone ask them to mentor. I bet it is quite challenging because it goes back to your network, right? So yeah, I don't have a I don't have a great solution for how to make sure that that folks that need them, how do we how do we augment that? How do we make it easier? It's it's a really it's a good point you bring and and for sure I'm I'm guessing a significant challenge. So if if we were to sort of put you really on the spot, and this is really putting you on the spot, so I do apologize, but if you were to sort of identify your top three golden rules for creating your own path, what would they be, Aaron? My top rules for creating my own path. Given uh, all you've learned and experienced. It's, it's articulate socializing your plans. So as a leader, so I have a plan for my, so articulating what am I trying to do and how am I going to do it? So step one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and making sure everyone knows what that looks like. People on my team, colleagues I work with. So that's part of creating my own path. Like I have to achieve X, Y, Z. So this is take everyone on the journey with you, right? This is how we're going to do it. This is what we need to be successful. So I've been doing that even this week. I have various meetings where I'm sort of selling my plan because I need help. I can't pull it off on my own. Um, And then secondly, you know, creating your own path in terms of a, this goes back to more leadership principles is that keep everyone apprised of, you know, how is that path going? People want to know progress. So you're on the journey. How's it going? And so, you know, creating transparency. My team needs to know what's working, what's not. Um, so I'm taking, I don't know if I'm answering it. I'm going off off script a little bit. These are more my leadership principles in terms mm. of how I, how I plow ahead. And then, then the last bit is, you know, you celebrate success on the path and then re- and I guess maybe step four is reevaluate or re- redo your path if, if something's not working. So I added a four. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fine. And I think they're great leadership principles. But I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give you another challenge if that's all right. If we go back to your 21 year old self, and you've got 20 minutes with your 21 year old self mm. to mentor them about creating their own path at, at as 21 at 22, what would your advice be to them now? follow what what so yeah I, I didn't answer it quite right today um uh no you answered you answered great but I'm, I'm just I'm just really interested in in how you would mentor your earlier self um and I'm gonna say it wrong but Steve Jobs um, said something along the lines of follow your curiosity and don't worry about um connecting the dots so in terms of creating your own path you can sometimes be limited by well I don't know what it is I want to do I don't know what my career aspirations are going to be. So don't worry about it. Go after something you're you're passionate or curious about and don't worry about where it leads you. Like I've taken classes I'm interested in world affairs and nutrition. It hasn't, you know, because I'm curious about it. Um, so so that's a way to find your own path, right? Just follow what makes you what gets you excited and then see where that leads you. And then to follow something else. And then that's the way to create your own path, I would say as a starting point follow, uh, be curious and go after it. And don't worry about, someone will say, well, why are you doing that? Why are you taking a class in XYZ? I don't know, because I'm interested in it. Who knows where it'll take me? 
So, so actually taking a risk to, to not be dutiful and follow the considered path, which I think yeah. in, in, in uh, Abby uh, Wambach's case was Little Red Riding Hood, told to stay yeah. on the path. Yeah. And she yeah, said, definitely. no, screw it. I'm going to go off the path because I think something more interesting could be there. Yeah, so just follow it. And don't, I've, used, I've thought about that many times. I don't, I'm interested in lots of things. I'm not going to worry about why or what's my end goal. If you get worried about the end goal of, then sometimes you're, it's limiting, right? It's a limiting belief. So in terms of creating your own path, just I'm curious in this. I want to go travel here. I want to experience this culture. Then, then find a way to do it. So follow your curiosity. Follow your curiosity. Yeah. I, I didn't take more risks, I guess. And James, how about you? Because I've, I've always actually experienced you as being somebody who's pretty good at asking for mentorship, actually. Does that resonate with you? Um, uh, it's interesting to hear it articulated so clearly. I think I'm just the person that asks for help and then doesn't leave once I've got that first answer to that question. I just find I, I, I ha I'm lucky to have um, older friends, more experienced friends, David. Um, yeah, you, you can use the words uh, more mature, um, yeah. uh, not senior, uh, definitely no, not I said senior. Season, 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 season yeah. not senior and, and definitely yeah. not older or aged. No. That's All right, fine. cool. So <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky to have aged and older friends who have lived more life. That's so, so going to be edited out, James. Yeah. I'm telling you. Right. Um, and but I couldn't resist. But it's I've I've always I've always kind of intuitively gone. Well, why would I learn from my own mistakes if I could learn from other people's? Um, mm. It's it's just it's never made sense. My brother's the complete opposite. He'll say, "No, you got to learn from your own mistakes." I'm like, "Yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to." But I'd also like to learn from other people's because they've lived longer than me, and so why on earth would I not ask for help? Um, mm. But it's not been. As we've been having this conversation, the, the something I've been thinking about is it's not natural for me to ask for things for me. I'm fine to ask for it for other people. Like if my daughter needs something, I'll go, I'll, I'll kick the door down. I have no problem with that. But if it's asking for stuff for me, then I've, I, yeah, I, that's not a natural thing. That's a learned skill. Um, but it's never occurred to me to go, hey, would you be my mentor? Um, a because I wouldn't, and B because I don't think they'd say yes. Because because I think it was on another podcast that I heard is is what you're basically doing is asking them if I can um, if you would like another job that's not paid. <laughs> and so the easiest way to not get a mentor is to ask for a mentor. <laughs> you just kind of make friends with people who you think are better than you, and you you know don't leave. So that's I, kind of my approach. Um, I think as a mindset that that's brilliant. Why should I bother to learn from my my own mistakes when I could learn from somebody else? Well, and the, but the, preface, the second the second part of that is, and by the way, I'm going to make plenty of mistakes by myself because there are so many mistakes to make in this world. Yeah. So I'm going to. But it's it's if I know someone who has built a successful coaching business, and and I want to, why would I not listen to them? is my is where i start is why would i why would i not ask um that's the bit that i don't and but i've found them like what i what i wouldn't do naturally what i would not be inclined to do naturally is to seek them out um i would the closest i'd come to it is i if i knew someone who mentioned they know someone i'd say oh would you mind if i spoke to them but even then that would be that would feel um there'd be efforts involved in that like there'd be emotional effort involved but what I don't understand, and this is and this is a thing about asking for the ball that I 
sort of see it slightly not differently, but um, my understanding was different. Is there's a there's a certain level of um, entitlement in younger generations, and sort of yeah, well, you're just gonna you know tell me that bit, right? You're gonna give me the good leads to the to get to write the revenue you want me to write, right? Which I imagine Erin uh, would resonate with your world. No, I'm not. I'm going to give you the leads we've got, and then you'll go do the best you can with them. Um, yeah. And so for me, asking for the ball is, well, first of all, are you sure you want the ball? Because <laughs> these leads might not be that great, but if they are, then cool. If they're not, then make from them what you will. Um, yeah, there's something in there about that for me as well. well certainly, it seems like asking the, for the ball means gaining the maximum permission or giving yourself a maximum permission yeah, it means to take yourself. risks. Yeah, I'm backing yourself. Yeah. Actually, I was thinking about Steve Jobs' quote myself, Aaron. I think I found it. I mean, it was, it was basically, he started with a great line, my story is all about death. Yeah, he said, my story is all about death. Remembering I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because mm. your time is limited, so don't waste it living somebody else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. And don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. Mm -hmm. yeah. See, I knew this had to be a two-parter, Erin, because it's just, <laughs> we've, only, we've only done the first, uh, we've only done the, the first sort of rule on this one, and, and that's given us a, a brilliant load of material. So we're going to come back and we're going to do part two some point later in the year we'll, we'll go through the the other two themes you found out thank you so much for this where can people find you if they want to create the conversation with you where's the best place for them to connect with you online uh just on linkedin so aaron mcdaniel you'll find me essential at edge if there are multiple aaron mcdaniels that's the easiest place that's perfect. Well, listen, thank you so much for this one. There's still so much more to talk about, which I'm really looking forward to talking about. So we'll do that at a suitable point late in the year. Um, enjoy the California sun. You're making me very jealous. <laughs> thank you both. Really enjoyed it. Bye-bye. That's great. Thank you. Bye-bye.